To truck it, I'm Dooner here with Michael Vincent, the dude. Hey. hey, good Wednesday afternoon from the heart of Freight Alley. What's on your mind, my friend? I got a question for you. All right, lay it on me. First job in logistics, what yes. was your entry level salary? $34,000 a year. Thirty-four year 1988. What region? I was in Toledo, Ohio, open air docks, seven uh, LTL. Yeah. Uh, seven days on, seven days off, uh, five, uh, like six, I think it was like five o'clock at night to six in the morning. And then every so I had every other week off too. Not terrible. I mean, sixty. That's like that's about sixty four thousand dollars in today's money. So yeah, not not terrible. Not terrible. Listeners of this show who uh, get the What the Truck newsletter, you can get that at freightways.com/slash/wtt. Would have got last night's where we were talking about benchmarking your salary. There's this great thread on Reddit where all these different people in logistics and supply chain uh, they did us all a great favor and they listed out their jobs in the region yeah, and yeah, yeah. their salary and even their gender. And um, what I saw made me really happy because when I started in this industry in 2005 at FedEx Trade Networks in the Boston area, I made $29,000. That was my starting salary. In Boston? In 2000. I know. Wow. I had roommates, fortunately, you know, but uh, that's, that's like where I started $6 out. $6 in today's money. That's where I started out. Well, and, you know, rates <laughs> like that, you're not attracting a ton of people. For me, this was like no. second chance hotel. Well, what I like that I saw here, and here I'll, I'll list out some of these jobs for you, but these are jobs that you are going to that you can show to young people that there's a career path, a lucrative career path in logistics, a yeah. supportive one that is above like that yeah. 29000 I did look by inflation, by the way. That would be like 41000 in today's money, so it's still, still not a ton, especially Still pretty fairly weak. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we had a director of demand planning on here in the Midwest. He's making $150,000 base salary. He's got 20% annual bonus. Um, we have a 26-year-old senior logistics analyst in Minnesota making $84,000 plus uh, bonuses as well. Better than what I got. Demand plan in the Midwest. T- you, can get, you can afford tickets to the Vikings games. Yeah, that's not bad, right? Demand another demand plan in the Midwest, making ninety thousand base salary with bonus. We got an e-commerce supply chain manager in Washington, making one hundred ten thousand dollars plus thirty five thousand dollars bonus over two years. And stock. That's the nice thing about some of these startups. Yeah, stocks. And uh, there's another supply chain manager in Minnesota, twenty nine years old, making one hundred twenty five thousand dollars base salary, ten percent annual bonus, and ten percent stock options too. So a lot of room to grow in. It's the great resignation right now. It's the great reshuffle. Your job's yeah. not meeting your goals. It's not meeting your money. A lot of opportunity out there. And if you haven't looked at your salary in a while, people jump, tend to jump around a lot more, even before the great resignation now. But if you haven't looked at your, your salary opportunities in a while, you're getting a little despondent in that field, take another look. Or you're a student now and you're thinking, like, will I even get paid in this business? Well, yeah, things are really looking up. I think you can. Right now you can. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, you can read the What the Truck newsletter, FreightWaves.com slash WTT. Subscribe. You get in your inbox every Tuesday, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. You can also read that right now. FreightWaves, same site, FreightWaves.com slash WTT. We also publish it to there. On the show today, though, we're going to be talking about drugs. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Do do truckers really prefer cocaine? That's what a TA study said, but Awida may say otherwise. Andrew King is a research analyst there. He's going to talk about the data behind um, hair testing, urine testing. We're going to find out the good and bad of both. It's going to be a really interesting segment. We're also going to have uh, Sanjay Das, Dr. Sanjay Das. He's a professor at New Jersey Institute of Technology. He's going to take an academic look at supply chain crisis, and uh, he's going to talk about fast fulfillment. He's even written a book on it. We'll find out what his students are learning over at school. Um, Trucker Kellyanne McLaughlin, she's going to discuss the importance of driver ambassadors. She's going to talk about her experience on the road, what she did with REITs across America. We're going to go deep on her on the issues that truckers and women drivers are facing right now in the business. And, of course, we have Omar Singh. He's the founder uh, and president at Surge Transportation, and he's going to debate the merits of non-competes and non-solicits. But 
we got to tip the band and get to the news first. So you may think of AIT Worldwide Logistics as an average U.S. forwarder, but in recent years, they've evolved to become a global transportation management leader, generating more than $2 billion in annual revenue by providing supply chain solutions for Fortune 500 companies shipping between Asia, Europe, and North America. Despite the company's exponential growth, they are still the experts when it comes to creating solutions to fulfill your supply chain requirements. Find out how your business can benefit from AIT's logistics experts at tell them dude go to aitworldwide.com immediately after this show headlines what's going on in the world today all right go fund me they froze over five million canadian dollars until organizers of that canadian trucker convoy detail their spending plans they're seeing a ton of money going on there they want to know that they're going to administrate this uh, and administer this well um you may know about this rally we talked about it on monday you may have seen it on social media or the news here are some sights and sounds from the freedom rally 2022 up in canada These are all new videos popping yeah, up yeah, every yeah, yeah. day, too, Vincent. I'm, they're attracting quite the crowd to this thing. I mean, it's got a ton of support. We mentioned that five million Canadian dollars. Uh, yeah. Of course, seeing all the people lined up, and it's not just drivers. I mean, there's a lot of people on the streets of Canada here yeah. who have been, in one way or another, touched by this movement. Whether you agree with it or not, it's something that is happening right now north of the border. Yeah, it certainly is. And this is it's not just about vaccines, is it, my friend? Yeah, and this driver here, he said he's gonna he's he's on his way up there. He's during the rally wars that big motherfucking D. Motherfucking D. I said fucking yeah. D. He's he's on his way up to uh up to the rally over there. And like we said, this Freedom Convoy, it's raised five million two hundred and thirty-seven Canadian dollars. So far, there's another driver on his way uh, up there. Oh, this driver here. Yeah, so he's talking about what you just said there. It's not just about vaccines. So yeah, yeah, you yeah. ask them, and people have been asking, like, what's the perspective? Where, where are the drivers coming from? Why don't they just get vaccinated? 90% are vaccinated. A lot of them are saying it's not just about mandates. It's a straw that broke the camel's back. Right. They're sick of lockdowns after two years. They're sick of seeing politicians like this driver's talking about without masks on, the elite hanging together while a driver alone in his truck is being um, subjected to mandates. So whether yeah. you agree with it or not, I mean, Drivers do have some perspective on this, and it's, it is the mandates, but I think what they're saying is that it's two years of policy along with the mandates. And I want to—the other thing that I, that I ran in there was, you know, a really solid point is that it's not a choice when your choice is either get vaccinated or e- either don't get vaccinated and not be able to feed your family or get vaccinated and feed your family, right? Yeah. I mean, that's your choice. That's still force, man. You still got to feed your family, right? So it's not really cool. But according to the statement from organizers, funds will primarily cover fuel costs and hopefully food and lodging to help ease the pressures of this arduous task. Multiple convoys already setting across Canada destined for Ottawa, right? Police report a convoy of over 1,000 trucks long. Yeah, you know, That's and a, a lot of, of trucks, bro. A lot of people online were, were sort of freaking out about about this freeze. Uh, we did ask GoFundMe about it. A spokesperson for yeah. them did say that this is part of our standard process to ensure the protection of all yeah. donors. The fundraiser is still accepting contributions. It's about the dispensement of money, and they want to make sure that uh, that happens. At least that's the story that yeah. they're telling us right now. Right, and that's we, going through the week. That they're, they're, they're when are they at Capitol? Uh, Friday or Saturday? What's that? No, yeah, they're trying to get there by the 29th. Yeah. To the Ottawa to Ottawa, right? 
Yep. Yeah. Uh, Port of Savannah has overcome serious headwinds to land record cargo. That's right. Uh, Joanna Marsh reports the Port of Savannah handled record volumes in 2021, moving 5.6 million 20-foot equivalent units and sending volumes up 20% year over year. If you're paying for this stuff, you already know that. The sizable increase comes as the port experienced 12 consecutive months of record container growth, the Georgia Ports Authority said. So people looking for other options from that West Coast. They are, you know, and the East Coast, including Savannah, you know, they've been the outlet from the from the from the West Coast, sure. but they're getting their own stuff as well, right? It's been it's been picking up there as well. Mid December was a record month at the Port of Savannah, four hundred sixty five thousand TEUs, four percent higher year over year, an all time high of trucks through the gate, three hundred twelve thousand. Three hundred twelve thousand. Wow, that's a ton of trucks. And I, I wonder how this would have been affected had they not had the in, inland port, right? Because they got that inland rail port yes. up in Georgia too. Well, I, the port has also secured four pop up locations for containers. So they're doing a really good job of not only getting that throughput. As we mentioned, I mean, you hear about LA Long Beach all the time and the record congestion there dealing with trucks. Um, Having 312 gate routes, gate uh, moves last month and keeping these trucks flowing. I know that there's a little bit of backup, but keeping them flowing is a testament to how well they're doing. Over in Charleston, congestion is getting worse as well. Take a look at this map here. There's now about 20 vessels that anchor right wow. outside of uh, Charleston. The South Carolina Ports Authority says that there's over 7,000 containers that have been dwelling for 15 days or more. So another situation to be mindful of and to keep your eyes on out there. Yeah, absolutely, man. We got uh, loitering ships all over the place, man. Yeah, we got to get out there and issue some tickets. Well, hey, it's great resignation, <laughs> right? It's great resignation. <laughs> yes, it the great reshuffle. Ton of people leaving jobs. A lot yep. of them may be asked to sign one of these documents with their employment conditional mm, of employment. Yeah. They might be asked to sign a non compete or a non solicit, especially if you're over in sales. Well, we're going to continue the conversation that we had with Matthew on mm-hmm. Monday with Omar. Today we had Omar Singh. He's the founder and president over at Surge Transportation. And he's back with us, Omar. It's, uh, you know, I kind of have a rule. Don't say Happy New Year after, like, the first week. But I haven't seen you in a while, so I'm going to break my own rule. Happy New Year. It's good to see you in 22. It's been a while. It's good to see you guys, too. Happy New Year. I think we can get away with it. It's still January. It's yeah, still, Omar, still... Omar gets the month-long treatment, <laughs> right? We only, got a couple, we only got a couple days left. Um, <laughs> Omar, I've seen you jump in on some of these conversations on LinkedIn. I, I've heard your own opinion on this. I think it was on Put That Coffee Down. About a month ago, you were talking about non-competes. You feel very passionately about this, as do some other leaders in this industry. What are your thoughts on uh, non-competes and non-solicits? Well, overall, I mean, I think non-solicits make sense in terms of like protecting what you've built as a as a team, as a company owner. We say, listen, if if we bring you into our family, don't try to destroy the family from within and, and, you know, take our people or take our secrets or take customers who we introduce you to who maybe you didn't know, you know, before joining. But the whole non-compete thing, I think is, you know, I mean, I'm a competitor by, by training, by athletics. I mean, meet me on the battlefield, meet me, you know, on, on the court, like let people work. It's, it's ridiculous. And, you know, to the, to the victor goes the spoils. So, I mean, it's just all, there are so many competitors in this industry, right? 26,000 brokerages that have more than one rep and then how many motor carriers who are also going after the same business and to, to think you're going to take a few people and tell them, no, you're not allowed to work. And somehow that's going to, you know, change the landscape of the hundreds of thousands of other competitors you have. It's just kind of ridiculous. And it's so unfair to individual people who are, who are just trying to make a living, you know, like you said, it's a choice between getting vaccinated or eating. I mean, it's, it's not a choice. It's, it's just wrong, stupid, 
(laughs) (laughs) But Omar, it seems to me it's kind of like a leftover dinosaur type of tactic from the earlier days in, in brokerage, right? When there was just a few houses, maybe even here in Freight, Freight Alley, uh, and, and you, know, you, you, to, to, you know, the stealing of the people and stuff like that meant something when there was two houses, right? Two, two brokerage houses. It's really not about the non-compete. Uh, 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 the non-compete is for the non-solicitation, right? The non-solicitation is you can't go after that business, right? The yeah. non-compete is you can't compete in the same yes. business. But it's very right. easy to walk somewhere and say, well, I'm not... Uh, soliciting them but Dooner now is and he never worked for you because I can pass him that information wasn't that the issue there to try and prevent that well I think so but also you know you bring up a good point I hadn't thought about just kind of the the age of the non-compete right because maybe even just go pre-internet pre-LinkedIn right now yeah. I mean now if you want to know who the transportation manager is at ABC yeah. Shipper you just look them up and all of their info is there and you can message them but sure, in the 1970s and 80s, you kind of that was really privileged information that you got from your employer. And and so maybe, yeah, that made more sense in that environment where it was super privileged secret information. Like, don't take this and use it against me. But now it's it's ridiculous. You just can find anybody anywhere. And, you know, hats off to you if you can get them to respond and, and, and give you the time of day to right. see if you can make a good partner for them. Well, Omar, on the last show, I talked about my own experience in 2016. I had started a new job. I was fired from a sales job three months prior, but apparently it was two months and like 29 days because they sent via certified mail my non-compete and my non-solicit to this new company. It made a very uncomfortable situation with with this new place of business. Um, Is that standard? Like, How do most employers handle these types of agreements? What are they being used for? For me, it was like, I don't know, just to threaten me and hold it over my head. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that, you know, more than anything, most of the employees we've spoken to have signed something. They don't really, they're not really certain, you know, how restrictive what they've signed is. They they usually say they can go by any title, right? It's just kind of the devil's in the details. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a, a non-compete can really be a non-solicit. A non-solicit titled can really be a non-compete, depending on what they say. But I, I think that employers use it as a scare tactic. Um, you know, for the employees, they, they come over, they're nervous. We help them interpret, you know, kind of what it means, what they're allowed to do. But very rarely have I seen any employers aggressively kind of go after their previous employees. I mean, no, never have we either endorsed them trying to, you know, take that business away. But you know, I've seen a couple of letters that kind of remind the former employee of, of what they agreed to do or not do. But never really actually had anybody try to enforce it because I, I, I think they know they're not enforceable. And if they have a company that's willing to help defend them, it's just it's just such a waste of everybody's time. You know, and I think also very unattractive for customers. You know, customers build a relationship and it's based on that person. It's uh, I, I don't think you're protecting the customer relationship if you don't, you know, if you try to get in the way because they're going to work with who they want to work with. You know? Yeah. Very true. Very true. Very, very true. So we talk about this being an old dog leftover type of thing, and there's more and more growing towards this kind of, uh, we need to get rid of this. I hear more and more voices like yours around, as as Dooner put out. What do you predict the future of the non-compete to be? Yeah, I think think they go away. I mean, you know, I'm being a little vocal. A lot of people are being vocal right now. I think, you know, I I was talking about recently, you know, we had some big layoffs in some of the large national firms where, a lot of people, uh, you know, couldn't work in the industry and feed their families. 
you know, talented people don't like to even be, you know, wrapped into anything like that. Customers don't like to see people not being able to make a living or, or work with them if they've developed a relationship. And, you know, to your point, I mean, I think with just LinkedIn and all of the resources out there, Zoom info and, you know, all, all of these other sources, it's just uh, they don't make sense anymore. And I, I, I see them going away. I don't see talented people tolerating it. No, and you bring up a great point there because the the people that these the, the reason I hate them, what infuriates me, is because they were you they're, they're used against people like me who at the time did not have very much leverage, had been fired for yeah. a job. I mean, you fired me because I didn't make my last two quarters. You know, it's not like I I had this gigantic book of business I was trying to steal. <laughs> but I'll tell you something: the reps that do have that giant book of business and do that, you are actually trying to protect yourself from. Look, they have relationship with these customers. You people talk about relationship all the time. They have relationship. People talk. Social media makes it easier than ever mm -hmm. and the only real disservice you're going to do here is you're going to burn some bridges and you, you might make a, a, a you know a pretty successful podcast host angry about that non-compete <laughs> yes, you, you might just do it yep you might <laughs> um so i gotta tell you how do you think remote work though remote work will change the enforcement of these things because a lot of them are based on radius even the language in mine was like within 100 yard 100 miles of any other office but in a global <laughs> open world where i'm doing my my business in linkedin where does it matter where my seat is yeah, I, I don't think it does anymore. I mean, I, I think the example of the radius as just as, as I've talked about non-competes with attorneys or they kind of are more like appropriate for a doctor, right? If you, if you leave one doctor's office, you don't want to take those physical patients away from that doctor. Like that's kind yeah. of where they use those. But, but in our business, that's, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. The radius is not just the world. I mean, the nation, but the world. You know, I mean, so many TMSs are international. We go to, you know, conferences in Europe and conferences here for the same, you know, you see the same people. And um, yeah, with remote work, where do you enforce it, it yeah. you know, and, and prove that harm was done? You got well, the, yeah, it seems like it's part, it's it's much like that whole thing itself. It used to maybe mean something, but now in this day, it being connected to your point, well, right? That, I mean, that, look, that's what my it's attorney doesn't make any sense anymore. That's what my attorney told me when they, they sent yeah. it to me. They're like, look, they're just trying to make it awkward, uncomfortable for yeah. you at this new job. I mean, his advice, and which I took, is he's like. Well, if it, you know, it's, it's a job, it seems weird, the temperature in the room changed because of this, then, you know, maybe see another opportunity, which I actually yeah. did. I, you know, I left yeah. the conference, like, look, I should have been more open that I had this non-compete. I should have said, I'll start like two days later. I didn't think they'd send this. I didn't think it would be a big deal as orientation. Right. I apologize. And, you know, for both sides, the jobs are a dime a dozen. It's like, I just went down the street to a, a different place. One that, yeah. um, I'd already talked to the guy there. He's like, I love when people send me non-competes. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll <laughs> right, go cool. to this guy. I got that's all it did. That's all you did. That's all you accomplished by sending that. And that's what all these other companies do. By making someone who's probably not even making that much money's life more difficult for no right. particular reason. Omar, I love to hear it. If people want to work with you and not deal with non-competes, where should I send them to? Well, you know, online, of course, our website has a lot of information about contacting kind of the right people, but jobs at Surge Transportation is the easy email address. And, uh, you know, to the point that we're making on this, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm totally approachable, available. You can message me or, you know, anybody on our team. So we're always open to, you know, attracting great talent and not tying their hands. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Omar. And we'll speak to you again soon. Take care, buddy. All right, guys. Have a good one. Good to see you.
Take care. Thanks, Omar. You know, speaking of employment and people are going to be in demand, it's the next students, right, coming out of supply chain curriculum oh, yeah. and programs. Students who learn from amazing gentlemen like our next guest, Dr. Senjoy Daz. He's, the, he's a professor at the New Jersey Institute of Technology. He's also an author. He's, uh, he's written a book about fast fulfillment. And today he's here to talk to us a little bit about what goes on over in his program. This book he's written, Why He's Passionate in 2022, about fast fulfillment. Professor, thanks for joining us on the show. Hello. Fantastic. I'm enjoying I just saw your show. You guys are great. Yeah. You just are great. Yeah. You know what's great? I love your room, man. Are you, are you in your house right now? I like, I like the blue. It's very calming. Yeah, the blue is calming. Gets me into this in a nice mode that I'm going to be with you folks on the show. Wonderful. Yeah. yeah well, but I'm talking tell- from home, remote. Everything is remote now. Yeah. I, are even classes still remote? So uh, you, you teach a supply chain program over at, at the Institute, correct? Yeah. So, you know, that's a good question. When we first got the pandemic and we went remote, Students liked it for a few weeks. Now they're desperate to get back. Yeah? Desperate. They want to be in the classroom. Yeah? They're bored of being at home. Yeah, yeah they, the change of scenery, interaction with others. and I'm t- Especially in college. I mean, Especially that's when you're college. making so many formative relationships. Like half the value of college yes. is connecting with your peers, right? And creating those, those lasting relationships that will take you into the business world afterwards. And I think that after like six months, you're like... Wait, it's great wearing my pajamas all day, but I'm really missing out on some of these life experiences. And I think we feel that in offices, too. And I think that's why hybrid's getting exciting. But what are your students asking you about? What are they excited about? They're in this rapidly changing world and a very changing logistics world where rates are completely different. The dynamics are completely different. Absolutely. So, you know, we, we teach so many different subjects in the university. But one of these subjects is supply chain. OK, logistics, supply chain, boring topic. Wow, the pandemic made it a really hot topic. Not everybody knows what is supply chain and logistics. And it has really affected our subjects, particularly, you know, with this Amazon, online, retail, and kind of stuff. A lot of the stuff which was in the textbooks for the last 20 years, about half of it is starting to become obsolete because we don't have those kinds of supply Mm. chains anymore. People are ordering stuff at 12 noon, and they're expecting it at their door at 8 a.m. tomorrow morning, yeah. That's a whole different ballgame here. It is so a completely to, different. In my book, I talk about that. Yeah, so let's get into that. Let's get into the book. Uh, what, e-commerce logistics fast fulfillment, the machine that changed retailing. Let's get into it a little bit. How, what got your interest into this, uh, the fast fulfillment? And, and tell us a little bit about the book. Yeah, so everybody knows about Amazon. They're buying stuff in Amazon. It is around 2013, 14. I visited one of these Amazon fulfillment centers. I was blown out of my mind. I said, what the heck are these people doing? This thing doesn't look like any other warehouse that I've visited. The whole thing in that warehouse was speed. Traditionally, we were all into efficiency, reducing cost. These guys were speed. How fast they can get the order out to you. So the whole warehouse was designed with new paradigms, new concepts. And so that's when I started to research it, create the books. I graduated a bunch of PhD students, and we sort of went inside the works to figure it out. And what we realized that nobody was talking about that behind the scene mechanics. They were only talking about the Amazon website or the stuff which is in the front. But behind, it's, it was completely different. Uh, nowadays, you see this sort of, I, I guess, blue-gray or whatever is the color of those Amazon delivery trucks. They're as prevalent as the UPS and the FedEx trucks. So in this book, I talk all about that, how it has completely changed what we thought were fantastic supply chains into even more fantastic supply chains. 
You know, so the big push, right, in at the end of 2019 was all this talk of rapid fulfillment, rapid delivery, getting things in like 15 minutes, right, or less. And then something happened. This pandemic happened. It took a lot of labor out of the pool, especially like that mm-hmm. delivery, that short distance delivery driver, the kinds who would go on like an Amazon Flex type of app or do deliveries for that. You might have noticed we try to get an Uber. A lot of these drivers are not back into these positions. How much did the pandemic change that rush to this instant delivery type of movement? Oh, it was huge. So things that were occurring at a pretty good clip, suddenly it was like a tsunami. I mean, everybody wanted to be, every retailer, they want to be in this business. Uh, trucks are coming in. So if, you, if you think about it, you know, in the old days, we moved pallets of load all the way from some original warehouse till the store. It remained as a pallet. Now, early on, this pallet is getting dispersed. It becomes first 10 pieces, then it becomes 100 pieces. So you you literally explode the number of trucks that you need, both the big trucks, the medium trucks, the small trucks. Right now, if you are an independent driver who can do last mile delivery, wow, people are calling you left and right. You can be an Uber Eats driver in the in the afternoon, you can be a freight driver in the morning, you can be an Uber regular driver in the evening, take your pick. There are so many jobs out there for that logistics delivery kind of vehicle drivers. So, so Dr. T- uh, Professor, tell me this, uh, what, how close are you watching um, uh, drone delivery in this? You talked about the large trucks, medium trucks, small trucks, and getting that large driver. Where, are drones going to be out there for this micro-fulfillment and in, in the fast fulfillment at the end? Yes, they're going to be out there, but I'm not going to speculate when, because drones are a very regulated business. Anything, Anytime you have things flying around in the sky, it's going to occur. Uh, what I'm going to guess, and I'm going to speculate, looking at all the research and all, you are going to get uh, sort of you know small uh, area drone deliveries. So some guy is going to pull up with a truck in your neighborhood, mm-hmm. and then he, this truck is, the, the drone is going to deliver from there in that neighborhood, maybe 30, 40 vehicles. So it's not like a truck, the drone is going to fly 20 miles to get to your vehicle. It's going to be these sort of micro cells of delivery. Then the truck moves on to another cell and you get those kinds of deliveries over there. So you will see those drones occurring and that is going to probably be phase one. I don't want to project when this will occur. I think the underlying technology already exists. Uh, the le- regulatory framework is a different ballgame. How do we set this up, uh, et cetera, for it to occur? But it's going to happen. In fact, I talk about this anecdote in the book that you, you know, you're, you're driving home, you want a nice glass of uh, a wine, you punch in something, internet, a drone picks it up from the wine store, drops it off in the front of your house, and when you come there, the wine is, is sitting for you right over there. Yeah, you know, and that's my, my thoughts on it are like, it's like a lot of new tech. They tend to sort of overpromise what it can do and then yeah. underdeliver because there's so many like yeah, it's going to do food delivery. It's, gonna, it's like this thing's not going to deliver a pizza. You're going to have people complaining all the time that the, the I mean, have you seen the stability of a drone flying? Your pepperoni will be on one side, the pineapple will be on the other, and the cheese will be on the top. Yeah, send of the me box. a bowl of me? fun. But I can, I, I can see their use there. But I still think you know humans are still going to dominate that. Yeah. Because yeah. robots have a final footstep problem, too. They can't actually get it up to your door. And not everyone no. wants to, like, open up their phone and go and pick something up from 
some autonomous vehicle. A lot of us can't because we wouldn't even be be home. Um, what do you think, though, is the future of this 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 last one, all this fast fulfillment? So right now we have this threshold of say 24 hour delivery, and you know there is a lot of pressure in some of these to have same day delivery, particularly office supplies, etc. But I think the number this delivery thing is going to keep going up and up until it reaches a point where it reaches sort of a a cost threshold. Okay, so if you look at the nightmare delivery, the nightmare delivery in fast fulfillment. I ordered 24 bottles of water from, say, the Target, you know, $2.99. And I want them to deliver it to my house for free. You know, it's just not possible. At some point, you're <laughs> going to break that cost barrier. I mean, this is a big bottle of that you can. So once you reach that cost barrier, some other kinds of costs are going to come in. And then the person is going to say, what the heck? I'm going to get into my car, go there and get it my myself. So we may be soon reaching uh, those kinds of bottom yeah. thresholds in these deliveries here. Yeah, that's the tough thing about our, our business. People just hate paying for delivery. So there's already kind of like this antagonistic relationship. No, it, it they, costs it's more, always too expensive. It doesn't matter more how much more it costs. to figure out how to get it there faster yeah. and faster, but you got to do it cheaper but and cheaper. If you sold freight, <laughs> it doesn't matter what number you say to that person on the other end of the line. They're like, oh, that's that's just too that's much. Too like much. box a 40-foot container from Shanghai to, to LA yeah. in 2015 when I was selling $1,200. That's way too much. $5. You spend $20,000 now. $5 <laughs> for delivery. I would spend $3 on it. <laughs> In fact, one of the most brilliant moves of Amazon, which is not highlighted much, is you know, it was around 2006 that they introduced Amazon Prime, and it was free shipping. People loved that free shipping. They gave that whatever $65 Prime. Once they got free shipping, they started ordering stuff every week. And that is what sort of the sort of the um, key moment that lots of people switched to online retail. They didn't have to do, you know, in the old days we had those horror ads, you know, you could buy something from $9.99 and the bottom it says shipping and handling $14.99. That's what <laughs> yeah. you have to know. You yeah. have those horror days here. Yeah. Well, that's still anything you see like on TV, like as seen on TV stuff, like that's how they get you. Remember yeah. like for my, my, my parents' pets, I got them these like Stuffed animals. Never mind. I won't tell you a story. But I, anyways, I <laughs> bought not, it. They like it's not a that total scam where they try to get you to pay all the shipping and handling, especially on the free one. They try to sell you that free one he's talking about, and they're like, okay, eighteen ninety five shipping and handling for the free stuff. It's like that's the price of a stuffed animal. Yeah, not yeah. tricking me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, enjoy. <laughs> um, you know, at the beginning of the show, we talked about how. Uh, Salaries are going up for for truck drivers, for office workers, for for people, especially coming with an education into this business. We were looking at some of the numbers. So people who want to get a supply chain education or they want to get educated by reading your book, where should I send them to? Okay, they can, they can go to my my website, which is fastfulfill.org. Okay, so that, that gives you how to get to different parts of the book, how to get different courses, or they can send me an email. Email is always the best way, das, D-A-S, at njit.edu. That's my university, New Jersey Institute of Technology. So those are the go. two best methods. Thank you so much for your time today and for joining us on the show, and good luck to yourself and your students. Fantastic, guys. Wonderful. Take care. Thank you, sir. All right. China, Vietnam, Belgium, France, Germany, Italy, Switzerland, the Netherlands, the United Kingdom, Canada, and Mexico. AIT Worldwide Logistics has 2,000 supply chain experts in these countries and, of course, in offices across the United States. And in 2022, they're adding more locations around the world as the organization continues to expand and make it easier than ever for customers to ship between Asia, Europe, and North America. If you're ready to create the shipping program as unique as yourself, as unique as your business, you can learn more. I tell him, dude. Hey, go to AITWorldwide.com immediately after this show.
All right, I'm very excited for our next guest. It is Kelly Ann McLaughlin. She's a driver ambassador, CMV driver, trainer, OTR driver. She works with women's in trucking. She just did an awesome delivery for REITs across America recently. Yeah, We're going to talk to her about all sorts of stuff today. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, but it's Kelly Lynn McLaughlin. <laughs> Didn't I say that? What did I say? I said Kelly Lynn McLaughlin. Oh, no, you said Kelly Ann. Everybody says that. Kelly. I have no idea Oh, you know why? why? Well, I say I it because feel... my cousin, my cousin is Kelly. I'm sorry. Kelly Ann, my cousin. Say I Sarah. must have been thinking her. No, that was good. What? Well, I didn't say Sarah. That's my <laughs> other cousin. I'm going to join your show and put on a hat because you guys always wear hats. Of course. And um, thank you so much for allowing me to come and be part of your show. It's been on my bucket list for a long time. And I think you met your match because I can talk just as fast as you and maybe even longer. Well, wow. here's the thing, though. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't be wearing the hat if my hair was as lovely as yours. Um, it looks like you're sitting in a truck right now. Where, where are you parked over right I now? I'm, I'm at a pilot. Actually, it's a flying day in uh, Edmond, Oklahoma. And yes, I am in my truck. And her name is Amelia. Wow. So let me, let me ask you something, too. Okay. So let's say you're driving around in Amelia and you get an email from the White House and they say you have a very unique <gasps> opportunity. You get to do a ride along with Secretary Pete. I, what would you sh show um, and say to Secretary Pete during this ride along? Okay, so that's that's on my bucket list too. And of course, I, you know, I did get an email from the executive office of the president, but I have written two letters to Pete Buttigieg and one to Marty Walsh offering them a ride along and the opportunity to speak with them. And one of the things that I want to talk to them about is how to make this industry more palatable to all of the drivers, pay us more and pay us for mainly for all the work we do from pre-trip to post-trip, right? Because right now, as you know, a lot of drivers are paid by the mile. And so there's a lot of work that we don't get paid for. But I also want to talk about training because the perception that this job, this industry is not safe for women is not current. It's out of date. Women can do this job. We can do it safely. I guarantee that I would not be doing this job if I felt unsafe. And most people think it's unsafe, like at our, we're at personal risk. And um, that's not the case. But the training environment for onboarding and new hires really needs to be updated. And, and a lot of carriers need to take a strong, hard look at their training environment and make sure that it's uh, promoting a learning, a learning environment that's safe, that they're not sharing the bunk and that the trainers are on duty when your trainer is working. So none of that night shift driving unsupervised and taking advantage of the new people in this industry. So that there's a ton of things I want to show them, but mainly, you know, my truck. <laughs> <laughs> mainly, mainly the truck. They're always proud of their truck, which is awesome. But talk about your 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 experience as a, as a as a as a driver and your unique experience as being a, a woman driver. And over the years that yeah. you've been doing it, how has it changed? Is it is it safer now? Is it getting safer? Is it more accepted? I mean, even though you say it is safe and personally it's safe, that type of thing. We all know what you're talking about. There is the acceptance yeah. of the woman driver more and more, and is it more of a, a you go girl or is it pockets of oh, yeah. still unacceptable? Oh, yeah. No, when I've okay, so I'm fairly new to this industry. So I still feel like a rookie, but I've been doing it for seven years. And when I first started, I would pull into a truck stop and people would say, man, you your husband lets you do this or I'd pull in and you could just see all the heads turn because they saw blonde hair and they're like, is it a guy with long hair or is it really a girl driving that truck? Now, I just don't even get that anymore. And there's, you know, even though seven years ago, we were at 3%. You know, think about the women that have been doing this, like 
Ingrid Brown, who's mm-hmm. been doing this for decades, right? What was it like 20 and 30 years ago when our predecessors started doing this job? But just the changes I've seen from uh, 3% female commercial motor vehicle drivers uh, seven years ago to about 10% now, um, it it's, I mean, it's a great feeling. But yes, this job is unsafe in that, well, I don't want to say unsafe, let's say dangerous, because you know, you're 80,000 pounds, 40 tons going down the road, 65 to 75 miles an hour, depending on if you're, you know, governed or not, I'm governed. Um, and there's all these wacky people that are four wheel drivers, uh, around you. And they're all looking at their phone as they go down the road too. And for some reason, they think that we ought to be able to stop and turn on a dime and just get out of their way. And that is not the case. So we need to really educate the public and our new drivers how to share the road with us safely and get them off the phone so they can pay attention. You know, Kelly, uh, Kelly Lynn, Kelly, I, I got to get that out of my head. I got to stop thinking about my cousin. Kelly, you're only Lynn. like a letter. Kelly, it's right in front of me here. It's right on the screen. Like it's not, it's, it's just, it's a brain lock. It's a brain lock. Kelly, you can and I know it's Kelly. Kelly. I know it's Kelly Lynn, too. Yeah, shorten it to just Kelly. Just go Kelly. I was going to say this. So yeah, most of the things that I'm, I'm pa- a lot of things that I'm passionate about are because of some experience I had. Either it was a, a good one or a negative one. A lot of times it was a negative one. Mm-hmm. Now, you talked about training. So what was your experience like? You mentioned you've been in the business for seven years. What was your entry yeah. point like, and how did you get into the business? Um, I got into the business because I was um, a volunteer parent at a high school marching band. It was a huge band. We had a semi um, trailer and a bunch of other trailers. And I figured out pretty quickly after coordinating all these people that the only person having any fun was the volunteer dad driver. And so one day he let me in the tractor and I got a ride and I was just smitten from then on. He was the first person that told me you can do it. And, uh, I went home and I thought about it and I was like, do I want to leave this on the table and be an old granny and say, yeah, I wish I had done that when I was younger, but the answer was no. So I just decided to give it a go. But in terms of training, I really lucked out. Um, I had a friend that went to Schneider and we did CDL school together and he said they were really safe. And previously I had worked with NHTSA in passenger safety. And so safety was really important to me. And he said that they were a safe company. It was safety first and always. And so I went to them and I didn't know how good their training program was until I became a trainer for them. And I had women and even men in my tractor that I was training that had just gave me stories that were horror stories to me that were really in unsafe environments and um, had to share a bunk with trainers and you know, crazy hours and little pay. And it just, you know, I, I chose smartly and, uh, I am lucky way. And so I'm just trying to share the message and, uh, change, change this industry that we're in to make it better. There's so many great things about the trucking industry, but there are a few places that we need some improvement. <laughs> Well, I'll give her some cowbell for that, right? Give it, give it. Yeah, let's do it. Let's uh, let's get into uh, women in trucking and what that represents for those who don't know. Is it just trying to get women behind the wheel, or is it the whole industry? Tell us what you guys are doing. So, Women in Trucking is a nonprofit, and we're out here to celebrate the successes of women in this industry, promote the um, career opportunities for everybody, from mechanics to drivers to associates all of the different jobs within the industry, and then um, to break down barriers or work together to break down barriers that 
for women in this industry. And the training environment is one of those barriers that uh, needs a little bit of attention. And I really, when I first got into this industry, I'm not from a trucking uh, family. I didn't know anything about it. And so I am an information gatherer and I would go to every truck show and just FYI, I will be at Matt's with my, my new women in trucking trailer, but I would go systematically to every booth and I would talk to people. I talked to drivers. I talked to vendors and just trying to learn about the industry and at really in the journals and at all the events I went to women in trucking was there and they were always game on. And so I decided at, after a couple of years of just observing that I wanted to be one of them. And so I joined and it was a great place to network. They have an annual conference called accelerate. It's always usually around the first week in November and They have so many awesome breakout sessions and uh, about leadership and issues in the industry and um, fun events, dances and, you know, get togethers and all that kind of stuff. So I really enjoy them. And they have an image team. So there's a group of ladies like us that are out there available to talk to the media and share, you know, positive stories about the industry and ideas and suggestions for improvement. And several of us were at the White House uh, Gender Policy Council roundtable discussion. And you had, I have to say, when I got that email, some people thought it was spam, but I literally almost fell out of my truck. I just could not believe it. I was just pie in the sky. You don't get those opportunities very often. And the women that were in that, a lot of them were from women in trucking. There were some non-asset people there. There were some uh, some major carriers there, some owner-operators. And it was really nice to have a conversation with leaders in the industry that were females and, you know, from diverse sectors and arms and put all our heads together and throw a bunch of ideas in the pot. And I'm hoping that we'll be able to get together again, but at least we had the opportunity to feed in to uh, the people that make the decisions that affect us, which is one of the things that I try and do every day is just have conversations with people that make decisions that affect me. Well, Kelly, Kelly, let me ask you something. So the ATA, for example, they always beat that driver shortage drum, right? Mm. And I think what gets lost in that message all the time, and I think that what infuriates a lot of drivers, infuriates myself, is that the real conversation should be about keeping a lot of these drivers that are already in the business. It should be retention, where you have 100% retention of people constantly reshuffling. You think the great reshuffle is bad now, where it's like 40% people moving. Think about trucking, where you have 90 to 100% of people moving every year, and think about how this industry has to function under those parameters. But when we talk about ways to keep drivers' retention, uh, pathways, you mentioned gender here. You know, it is better than it was with 10% female, but it's not like it's 50-50. There's still plenty of room right. for women to enter this industry and be great productive drivers. Do you wish the message was more centered around that? Well, okay. So let me just start with one thing. I recently was thinking, I I tried to join my state trucking association and they wouldn't let me join. And I was like, but wait a minute, I'm part of the industry and you're representing the industry. So most state trucking associations do not allow drivers to, um, become a member unless their carrier is a member. So part of the conversation, I think, has been missing the input from the drivers at the decision-making table. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, it oh, yeah. Does. Okay. So, yeah. So, and there's no place for, and the, there's three and a half million drivers. There's only about 350,000 owner operators. So 
where do 3 million drivers have the opportunity to have input into the decision-making and the conversation? We don't have an association for us to represent us. So I think that historically that has been an issue, but it still boils down. Yes, there is a driver shortage because we have empty seats, right? So there may be a whole bunch of CDL holders in the country, but we still have seats to fill. So the driver shortage is real. And the reason the driver shortage is real is because of pay and working conditions, which goes back to my work week is a 70-hour week. And I hit my 70 hours almost every time I'm out within about five to six days. I usually I have to cut my hours short in order to make it 70 hours in seven days. But there's so much of my time that's not even accounted for in that 70 hours. So my real work week looks like 90 hours because I work 14 hour days, right? For, you know, five to 10 hour stretches, five to, I mean, five to 10 hour, five to 10 days. Sorry if I could just talk a little faster, but um, so, so pay is an issue. And when I first got into this industry, I was shocked at what we were getting paid. Yes, I pay, I make more than I did when I make double what I was making seven years ago. But it's still for being on the road and the, the, the dangerous category of our job and the lifestyle hardships, we are not compensated um, fairly for the, the role that we play in the supply chain. And, you know, you were talking with one of your other guests today, you know, it was all about, you know, how fast can you get that product there? Mm -hmm. And we're constantly being pushed by our planners and our managers to do more, get faster, be more efficient. But um, it's because of what the customer wants. It's not been because of what the drivers want. So some of the things that we can do to kind of improve this environment for drivers is to continue to invest in safety equipment in the tractor. The tractor that I drive today is completely different than the tractor, tractor that I drove six years ago. It has so many awesome safety features in it. So we need to continue to do that. We need to take a good hard look at paying drivers overtime or at least for all of the work that they do so that they can not only make a living but make a good living. We need to have flexible schedules, especially for women. We need to do more um, public education about how to share the road with us safely. We need to make sure that our communities are inviting us in and providing us safe parking. Parking is one of the biggest issues that we have to deal with on a daily basis. There was no funding for it in the infrastructure bill that was recently passed. So it's the onus is on the communities to make a space for us and family or uh, city planners. Like if they're going to build an industrial site, why not have like a homeowner's type fee for all of the people that have warehouses in that industrial complex and build us a place to park that has showers, heated and cooled toilets, because toilets are an issue for us too. I know you've heard that. Mm. And and then all of the people, the warehouses that we're serving, they, they, they pay money into a, a fund to provide us a place to park and the facilities that we need to do this job. And those are just some of the, some of the things that, you know, we deal with on a daily basis, but man, that would be a great start if we could do all of that. <laughs> 
Well, I need to get Secretary Pete in that cab for a week with her. I need to get Kelly Lynn back soon too. I have like twelve questions here I that did, I didn't yeah. get to. Unfortunately, we are out of time because I got I got another guest from Owida on after you. We got to talk about driver and drug use and and some great research that he has I done. Just, but thank thank you so much for joining us on the show today. People want to reach out you. to you. Uh, where should they go to? Womenintrucking.org or at LinkedIn. I'm the Women in Trucking driver ambassador. So thanks for having me. And I just joined OIDA this week. So give Thank you. a big shout out. For <laughs> oh, cool. Bye. All right. Thank right you so on. much. Well, Andrew King is a research analyst at OIDA. I saw him shaking his head a little bit when she was talking about the uh, the driver show. He was like, yeah, yeah, I got a little contentions there. Andrew, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Pleasure so, to be here. <laughs> so uh, when you were shaking your, your head there, why, why, why were you? <laughs> Well, a, a couple of different things there. Uh, well, one, I'm glad she gave a shout out to OIDA because we do represent drivers. You know, she mentioned that there isn't really a, a place for drivers to go to find a way to voice their concerns and be at that decision making table. And one of the things people don't always uh, catch in OIDA is that it's drivers. It's for all drivers, not just owner operators. But we have always kind of pushed back against uh, the supposed driver shortage uh, maybe in certain segments of the industry, they do have struggle. But as you mentioned very well, um, when you have 90 percent or even in some cases over 100 percent turnover, um, it's kind of hard to have a shortage and have something like that go through. What we see more is is the retention issue, the the pay and the, the driver detention, you know, just efficiency um, alone can help answer some of those issues that some carriers are having. Well, speaking of issues, I, I recently was read a research paper by you and had a very uh, compelling title. It said, Truckers Prefer Cocaine, Study or Marketing Material. Tell us a little bit about this paper and what you were looking into. Yeah, so um, there was a recent press release that the Trucking Alliance put out and, and Lane Kidd, their, their managing director there, and they had uh, this study or research in quotes uh, talking about how truckers are actually using more drugs or harder drugs than the DOT reports. And they tried to prove that by having this kind of what they call research, um, where they, they took some, some data and, and crossed some figures together and came up with this, this idea or this uh, press release that, that drivers are using cocaine um, more than they're using anything else. And we take a lot of exceptions to a lot of those things. It really paints the trucking industry in a bad light. And it's just not true, and there's so many bad things with this research. Um, and the Trucking Alliance, for one, has have always pushed for hair drug testing, which is what this press release and report was originally about. And so I went through and kind of broke it down uh, piece by piece on how it's it's really not scientifically reliable or valid um, the study that they put forth. And so to us, to me, it's it is marketing material. It, it's not really research, and it's not true. So, Andrew, I, I read through it as, as well, and you do a great job of dispelling this scientific research in there. And I get that. They just took two disparate pieces of, of data and combined them together and said, oh, here's the conclusion. Hardly research, in my opinion, as well. But the, the contention here with you is, is really they're trying to promote hair testing, right? So give us a, what is the difference between the two? What is the difference in the accuracy? What should they be used for? Why, 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 why the contention there? Two being urine and, and hair, right? Yes. Yeah. Urine and hair. You're right. Right. Uh, well, there's a number of issues with hair testing. Um, one is just like the scope. Hair testing measures more for exposure uh, rather than actual current use. 
So that's one thing that hair testing does is it can go back 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, or even longer. But that has nothing to do if you actually are under the influence of something right now, um, which is why if you get into a crash and you are required to take a post-accident test, they're not going to send you to get a hair test. They're going to send you to get a urinalysis because that will actually show if you are under the influence of some type of illicit drug. Um, the other thing is, is uh, there's a lot of problems with hair testing, um, which has been an issue over the years. And some of that has to do with just the environment. Uh, you don't have to necessarily ingest or partake in an illicit drug for you to test positive. Uh, and that's uh, an area of concern. And really the only area that you could use hair testing is pre-employment um, because of the issues I mentioned earlier. It doesn't show or tell if you are currently under the use of a drug. And so uh, that and its accuracy being a little questionable, it, it tends to um, discriminate against certain um, ethnicities, uh, African-Americans, for example, because of the follicles of their hair. They have a, 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 a greater chance of absorbing things from the environment. So, for example, there was a case in, in 2013 uh, in Boston, Massachusetts, where six police officers were fired from the police force because they tested positive after they took a hair test. Um, but they actually were negative. They were false positives, and they were able to file a suit, and they got reinstated. And so this is just one example of many that hair testing really can't stand up against a scientific accuracy, in, in my opinion, and also just legal challenges. Andrew, let me ask you something. So if this is this mm. all in the name of safety, that it's always wrapped in safety, how many drivers are found to be under the influence in major accidents? Uh, if, if you look at fatal crash numbers, like NHTSA puts out uh, crash numbers, and but unfortunately they're, they're more on just fatal crashes and not crashes overall. But it's like if you're talking about drug use, it's like, not even a percentage point. If you're if you're looking at all fatal accidents, so say there's there's about 33, 35,000 fatal accidents every year. Uh, a less than a percent of those are truck drivers who tested positive for a drug. Wow. So I mean, it's not we're not That's, talking about gigantic numbers here, but we're no. also, we're talking about like wide sweeping legislation, and there's a lot of debate right here. The research paper is. Um, is excellent. Where can people read this and learn more about OIDA? So if they'd like to, they can go to ooida.com slash foundation, and they can look up our white papers, and they'll find this one at the bottom of the, the list. And they can find other white papers as well as one-pagers that we put out to help kind of give information about the industry and things that, that truckers face on a day-to-day -day basis. Are you already researching something next or anything in the pipeline we have to look forward to coming out of, uh, coming off your desk? Well, right now, this is kind of the big one, but we also do surveys of our membership. So we do things like detention time, which is a huge mm -hmm. issue right now with yeah. supply chain issues. And so that should be uh, coming out here shortly as well. Um, and that, of course, is just coming from our members uh, who are predominantly owner operators. Um, but we do have company drivers as well. So it can kind of give you a snapshot of what's going on out there and what uh, uh, the guys and gals are, are facing on the road.
Andrew, thank you so much for your Great time. Stuff. We appreciate l- learning about this and uh, even getting that insight in the difference between the uh, the hair and the urine test. I don't think everyone really knows that. You know? No, like I mean, read the white paper. Other, it's, it's, it's it's very easy read, actually, and very well well written, Andrew, for for people like myself who, who don't understand things that well. <laughs> well take care, sir. Well, and, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Say hi to Narita for me, and uh, and we'll catch you next time. Looking forward to the next paper. Everyone go to Oida and check out these, this current one. Oh, wait, did you ever find out which drug truckers prefer? Oh, uh, marijuana is the one that's tested for the most. That's the yeah, most there you go. That would make sense. Also, the hardest one, though, <laughs> to keep out of these tests. The hard, because it stays with you forever, especially you talk about it. I never testing. inhaled, man. You never inhaled. No. <laughs> I was anyway, at a club. It was somebody hey, else. You can find me on Twitter, at TimothyDuder. That's D-O-O-N-E-R. You can find him at Vincent the Dude. We'll be back Friday, noon Eastern time. The show's on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. You can find us on podcast players everywhere. Just look up What the Trucker. Download the Freightways TV app. Tell them how to be. Hey, peace and love. Spread it everywhere.